podcast series, the purpose of which is to deliver inspirational conversations with creative industry personalities on entrepreneurship, pop culture, art, music, film and fashion. Today's focus is on creativity in evangelism, storytelling and technology innovation, for which I have the pleasure of chatting with James Whitaker. Creative leaders are iconoclasts. They walk to the beat of their own drum and influence through their innate vision, gifts and talents. They craft poetry in a world that is content with prose and art where there is only architecture and they help us view the world in a new dimension. James Whitaker epitomises this as you will experience whilst he shares his unique perspective and story about his quest to save the world from boredom. From academia, startups and tech companies such as Trustworthy Computing, Visual Studio and development leader for the Bing platform and Cortana before becoming the company's first distinguished technical evangelist at Microsoft, engineering director for Chrome, Maps and Google Plus at Google and to now where he is the CTO of Biscuit Labs, the most important ambient computing company you've never heard of. He is also author of eight books. Two of them have been Jolt Award finalists and two are bestsellers. Hello and welcome, James. Thanks, Roy. Good to be here. What inspired and attracted you to being a creative? Being a creative, maybe it's a choice. Um, I realized my creative streak when I was very young. Um, I was different than my family, different than my cousins, uh, different than my friends. Uh, I spent a lot more time inside my own head. And, you know, my father was always telling me I was dreaming and, you know, head in the clouds and all these things. And and I don't know how old I was when I finally realized I prefer being inside my own head uh, to being with other people and always made up games and, you know, changed sports to make them more interesting and and gravitated away from the things that you know, had no creative elements and toward things that, that did. And, you know, for, for example, sports, um, you know, there wasn't much creative about football, uh, you know, NFL football, you just, you know, bigger, faster, stronger than everybody else. And that wasn't me. Uh, and, you know, I, so I kept trying all the sports and baseball, um, you know, I, I was a daydreamer. I got hit. I was playing shortstop one time. I got hit by a line drive right in the head because I had drifted off because I found the game so utterly dull. And whatever was going inside my head was far better. And and my coach switched me to pitcher. And all of a sudden, I became a good athlete because pitching had that that variation, that creative sort of uh, uh thing to it. You know, I could, I could vary my fingers on the ball. I could, I could, uh, release it at different points. I could turn my hand one way or the other, grip it harder or softer, all of these little variations that I got to play with. And, 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 and that drove me to being, you know, for, for a skinny, lanky kid, you know, I could throw a, 
a fastball past most people in the league. I could throw a curveball. I could do all these things. But then once I mastered it, I got bored as fuck. I mean, let's just face it. The America's sport is not the most interesting thing. And so throughout my life, there were always these things where um, if there was a creative element, I would tear it apart and, and, and concentrate on it for for some period of time and then fall out of love with it because, you know, the creativity was expended. And, and so that was me growing up, this kid who, who spent time in his own head and preferred the company of his, uh, of his own neurons to other people. And, and I think that, you know, that is driven out of a lot of children. My inability to focus in school, you know, if I had been born in these days, I would have probably been pumped full of, you know, ADHD drugs and, and all this stuff. And, and maybe it would have dulled my, my creative senses. Um, uh, but I didn't allow that. And then I turned it into, I, I think this is key, something I did that I, I don't think a lot of creatives do at a young age is when the real world began creeping in to my frontal lobe, the idea that I needed to go to college, the idea that I needed to uh, be gainfully employed, the idea that I needed to get the fuck out of Kentucky where I was born, right? I began to apply all of the, you know, creative variances and thought processes that I had come up with as a, as a kid to, to the real world. And, you know, it drove me into majoring into computer science rather than, you know, where my high school guidance counselors were driving me toward things like accounting and, and uh, psychology and, and uh, sociology and all of these things where, you know, there was more demand for, for work. None of them even knew what computer science was. But I saw the potential to be creative. And, and that's made, uh, made a huge difference in my life, you know, both monetarily and, um, and just, you know, fed my creative juices to, you know, into my 50s now. Your early awareness and quest to find true originality and authenticity and the pleasure that brings within yourself resonates strongly. Your point about creativity being stifled in education is spot on. There's an unspoken, unwritten understanding that creative pursuits are not productive. You're not going to be an artist. You're not going to be a dancer. You're not going to be an actress. You're not going to be a musician because they won't earn you enough dough and blah, blah, blah. It's soul-destroying advice and, and so, so wrong. Academic systems are still fundamentally designed for a bygone industrial age than the modern age that being the age of creativity. Early specialization, traditional formulaic and uniformed educational methods grounded in recall, over-teaching and testing as opposed to critical thinking, applied practical problem solving and true leadership and given time and space for creativity in an unstructured way, which is in essence, the enemies of free thought self-expression and innovation. In parallel, James, your storytelling prowess, specifically your voice, tone and style, is very engaging and soothing. You'd make reading the yellow pages sound interesting. How do you do that? So it, it, there, there's, 
I tell, I teach a course on storytelling. So, you know, pitch and, and cadence and, and, um, uh, timing, uh, comedic timing and the ability to, you know, add some staccato. Um, you know, it's like a guitar riff. Why is that guitar riff sound so damn good? So I've thought about this and I put a lot of time into, you know, voice training, singing lessons and, and just the ability to use this instrument that, that I've been given. And, you know, I, I did a podcast this morning on, um, on artificial intelligence and voice assistance. You know, I, I started Cortana at Microsoft. Yeah. And, um, you know, all the comments were, Oh my God, this guy's so, interesting and it's because i've studied being interesting and and i understand what it takes right i've applied my creativity to being interesting and part of being interesting frankly is just the voice this is not the voice i was i was uh, i mean it's the voice i was born with but you know it's a piece of work too you know it's a labor of love and speaking of voices bloody lovely irish accent you a funny guy i know and i said that on purpose (laughs) you know that's that's a tough one for us americans is i can tell a kiwi from an aussie uh i can tell you know a northern brit from a, a southern brit but you Scots and you Irish, it's yeah. close. You got to admit, very, it's close. Very, very, very especially the northern. Kind of Kentucky or Tennessee kind of <laughs> thing. <laughs> the longer you're away, transatlantic speech patterns emerge. However, I'm typically confronted by four are you. Are you Scottish? Are you Irish? Are you Australian? Are you New Zealand? The latter two is baffling. Which, to me, I am quintessentially a Sean Connery, and it's so obvious. My LinkedIn photo, I had a Scottish kit on. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that was what drew you to me. The other point I wanted to make as well, James, was about how quickly you pull in an audience within your uh, keynotes, your your evangelism, your storytelling uh, sessions. It's really magnetic that first 30 to 60 seconds is yeah. crucial yeah uh, particularly for younger audiences you know the, the attention spans have gone down over the years yeah. um, i'm i'm uh, gen x and my attention span is about six minutes until <laughs> yeah right i can take six minutes of boredom <laughs> but you know the younger millennials in gen z it's it's down under a minute you know they they don't have time for you they've got phones and they have um, you know, things going on inside their head. They've got social media and, and you know, the first six, 30, 30 to 60 yeah. seconds, really important. If you lose them, then you're probably not going to get them back. How do you make the invisible visible in terms of your creative process? How do you come up with ideas? How do you convert those ideas into concepts, bring those com- concepts to implementation and actualization. Well, I am firmly convinced that creativity doesn't exist without some level of expertise, right? Ignoramuses don't come up with good ideas. Uh, you've got to know something. And the more you know, the, there, there's some magic that goes on inside your head as you learn and master a, a subject. You know, when I started looking into storytelling, I was pretty good at it already. Started looking at the techniques, watching, you know, people better than me. Uh, stand-up comedy is yeah. probably where I learn most of my techniques rather than TED Talks or anything yeah. else. I mean, you don't get to be a stand-up comic unless you're pretty damn good at words. Yeah. And so, um, you know, steadily and slowly getting better and better. And then the cre- some of the creative insights were, you know, Ron White, who is a comedian that, love him or hate him, 
has influenced me a lot because his delivery made sense. And when I delivered a joke like he delivered a joke, it worked better than if I was trying to, you know, imitate Eddie Murphy or someone like that. And so, you know, the first creative insight was just kind of merging other experts. I was good enough that I could see through their jokes down to their individual technique. And, and so, you know, my first creative insight with storytelling was there's three parts of the delivery. It's, it's what you say, the, the words yeah. matter, how you say it and what you do while you're saying it. And, I'm, and it sounds simple. And when I tell you that, you're like, oh, yeah, that's obviously what it is. But no one had ever said it before. It wasn't obvious. And so if, if you're always trying to be so profound yeah. that you're going to miss the low-hanging fruit and what you say, how you say it, what you do while you're saying it, there's nothing more lower-hanging than that. Yeah. But I was the first one that said that. And when I teach that class and utter those words, what you say, how you say it, what you do while you're saying it, light bulbs go off in people's head. And so that's the other part of being a creative is watching. Uh, One of the reasons I teach is because I like to practice delivering, uh, you know, a, a really tough idea. Or one of the things I think I'm good at or people tell me I'm good at is taking a complicated subject and making it quite simple. Yeah. And, and so you don't do that unless you really understand yeah. that subject. And so this level of expertise is, is really crucial. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I surround myself. And then once you get good, um, don't stop. A lot of people get, all right, now I'm going to be a consultant on storytelling. And I hang up my shingle and, and go start getting work and yeah. start teaching the same shit all over and over and over again. And, and it gets stale. I never did that. Instead, I challenged myself. And, and generally, I would match myself up with people who were opposite of me. Yeah. It's the diversity element and expertise. You know, I, the first time I co-taught a uh, class was actually in, in New Zealand, in Auckland, with uh, Michelle Dickinson. Uh, you know, she's younger than me. She's female. She's she's part Asian. Uh, and, and we're different, right? The things that she says and the way she delivers them, completely different than me. But she's really good. And, and then Donna Sarkar, Mary, yeah. Mary Rodriguez, I've worked with a bunch of just really good storytellers. Yeah. And, and so when you get, the funny thing is when you get to be an expert, really the only people you can learn from are other experts. You're not going to learn from somebody who's not as good as you at, at these things. And so, you know, I learned a lot from, from those three women and, um, uh, and, and the next time I do it will probably be with, you know, I'd, I'd love to share the stage with, with somebody with different sexual orientation than mine or a trans person and, and just, you know, learn, absorb yeah. all of these things. Don't, don't be, don't be afraid of these. So, so, you know, in a nutshell, it's just trying to make, find what you're, you're good at and just double down, triple down, quadruple down. Yeah. And, and, you know, that has served me uh, a, a lot. And then the other part of it is, um, there's a lot of science around this, by the way, too. Um, the, the, all the links are in my book, uh, The Seven Stages of Creativity. Uh, the other is, is a routine. You know, all the creative, the most creative people of all time, you know, Charles Darwin, um, um, Albert Einstein, Marie Curie, uh, George Washington Carver, you know, all, all the people who are considered by everyone to be the really creative fuckers, um, had a routine. And it's uncanny yeah. that they all had this, right? They built their day around their creativity. And so 
you have to be really observant as a creative because that's your job to observe the world and then tweak it in some way, right? Back to when I was a kid, I, my whole entire extended family was perfectly happy with their lot in life. They were perfectly happy with taking whatever job was in front of them and doing it until they could retire when they were 60. And I wasn't. I was never happy with the way the world was ordered. I always wanted to reorder it. And, and so, you know, pay attention to, to, to those things and, and pay attention to the problems that you're interested in. Pay attention to your creative moments. And I'm more creative in the morning. Many people are. And, and so, you know, I, I design my entire morning around my creative processes. I'm not creative at all from the hours of, of, you know, say 11 a.m. to three or four drinking hours up to drinking hours. Uh, and so I agree to do things like this. <laughs> Sorry, girl. <Roy. laughs> I agree to do things like this. I, 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 I agree to meetings. I agree to, you know, doing the, the actual job that I get paid for. And then drinking hours, right? We're, we're having this uh, interview, by the way, audience, in a brewery, in a back room of a brewery. Uh, I really like beer. I really like the smell of beer brewing, uh, the, the malts and the hops. And, and so I find, you know, I've noticed over the years that my creative creativity is it peaks in the morning, goes down in the afternoon and then during drinking hours. And, and I'm a drinker. Um, I feel sorry for teetotalers. I feel sorry for people who don't like to kind of rearrange their neurons just a little bit to make them a little happy, to make them a little excited. And then you never know what's going to happen, uh, in, in those moments. And so, you know, I, I'm a morning and evening, uh, creative. From your experience, James, what are the key skills needed? I think it's that ability to watch the world and begin to organize it and catalog it. It's funny, I think, that I say the word organization when I describe creativity, because a lot of people say, oh, you know, creatives always have messy offices. No, they don't. My office is really clean. It's really tidy. And, and so it, it's, it's organizing that, that chaos of your mind and, and noticing, you know, those, those patterns. Um, first thing I try to do, you know, when I was, uh, studying artificial intelligence as a graduate student, I just, I tried to organize it in my head. Why is this different from software development? What's really going on here? Um, what are the patterns? What are the, what are the things that, that I can explain it with? And, and, and I worked on that. And I got to the point that I don't, I wasn't the best at AI in terms of, you know, you look at my graduate school class. I wasn't the best at AI, but I understood it at a deeper level than anyone else. Might not have been as good a coder. I might not have been as good at labeling my data. I might not have been good at selecting the algorithm based on the data, but I understood it at a fundamental level. And once I did label the data correctly, I knew why. And I could repeat it. Once I did select the right algorithm for my training data, I knew why, right? Because it was that attention, that uh, awareness, that consciousness of of watching yourself work. Um, I wrote on my uh, medium.com blog, I wrote about my split personality. Um, I can watch myself work. I can be productive and watch the patterns in my productivity at the same time. Um, it, it sounds a little bit like mental illness. It probably is. Um, I, I call it, I actually have a name for my alter ego and only my closest friends know what it is, but, um, unless you read that post, I suppose. 
And, and so it's that there, there is a, an awareness and just an absolute desire to reorganize the world, whatever you mean by the world. Um, and to me, it was, you know, mostly the tech world, but also the creative world and the storytelling world. Yeah. I'm not going to go into a field unless I'm intensely interested in it. And it's got problems that need to be yeah. fixed, right? I'm a fixer. James, you're looking into the rear view mirror. If you were 18 again today, I know what you know now. What would you do differently, if at all, anything? Oh, for fuck's sake, I wouldn't <laughs> want to be 18 for, for no amount of money. <laughs> do you think youth? is wasted on the young. Uh, no, it, it, youth is a pathway to a place that's more interesting. Uh, too many people our age, I think, look back and see, oh, you know, I had stronger, I was, uh, I was better looking, I had more hair, I had, yeah. you know, no grays, and my skin was smoother. And, and, and all of that is, is just, who cares? Yeah. Right. I am never, you know, my, my deathbed, I'm not going to say, oh, remember how smooth my skin was when I'm, uh, do you remember how flat my belly was and how, how, well, never mind. I, I made a gesture. If this is audio only. Um, and, it, you know, it's it, the things that I remember are, are the, really the, those creative moments of time I spent in, in my own head. There is uh, explaining that feeling of coming up with an idea, putting that two and two together and getting four point one, you know, even just, just that's an insight that you've made that nobody else has made. It's going to change a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be 18 again, but I want to influence people who are 18 now. Maybe even 18 is too tough. Um, you know, I find I find people begin to get really intensely interesting sometime in their 30s. Yeah. And, you know, they had they've had some experience and and. Um, uh, they've had, they've been knocked down a few times. They've learned a bunch of stuff that's just wrong. Yeah. And, and reorienting that world is, is much easier than if you're too young. And, and now I don't want to generalize here. You know, I, I'm, I'm a mentor to a lot of, you know, late teens. And, um, but if you're, if you're, if you're too young, you often don't question enough because, oh, it must be this way because this is the first time I've ever encountered this, this thing. And so I generally tend to prefer mentoring people who have failed a few times and, and who have thought deeply. You know, those are the best discussions I have. Tilting into the future, what's your vision for the future? What do you see as the key forces that's driving change in industry, socioculture, economics, politics, and technology? And what do you see the role of creativity playing in society, well, we we need creativity more uh, than ever. You know, we've got some really big societal problems to deal with. You know, like, let's just take the, the macro level of you know of global warming and and acidifying oceans and you know disappearing ecosystems and uh, endangered species are just uh, not they're just not in danger; they're dying out. Um, and and even you know languages that are that dying and cultures that are dying. Are there there's just some big meaty sort of planet wide problems that that we need to uh, get our head around, and we need some creative uh, solutions for for those sorts of things. Uh, and then you've got artificial intelligence coming, maybe quantum computing, but definitely artificial intelligence. You know, and the line that's being drawn between man and machine. Um, machines learn. Finally, machines are learning like humans learn. Yeah. And that should frighten the shit 
out of a lot of people if they really understood it. We can do a podcast on AI sometime yeah, if you'd like. Yeah. I can explain that stuff to you. Um, you know, these are some big, hairy problems to solve. And then there's a whole bunch of problems that we've created, uh, you know, Facebook and the debate over whether it's good or whether it's evil. There, there's clearly a lot of good that comes from socially connecting people across vast distances. Uh, and there is also clearly a lot of evil that, that has that has taken place. And so how do we how do we separate those two and and maximize the good and minimize the bad? And this is, you know, back to my. What does it take to be a creative? What it takes to be a creative is to be aware of those things and to be able to point out, okay, there's something that's good and it connects to this bad thing. And I've just figured out how to sever one from the other. You know, these sorts of insights, it's going to be a bunch of little insights that fixes Facebook. It's going to be a bunch of little insights that, that makes global warming a solvable problem, right? And, and so when people think, oh, I'm not Elon Musk or I'm not, you know, I don't have the resources of Bill Gates. I don't, Elon Musk and Bill Gates are not going to solve this problem. Somebody in their twenties or thirties, some group of people in their twenties or thirties are going to be the ones that in mass, solve a bunch of these little problems that are going to to fix society. And they're going to do it by, first of all, understanding what the problems are, getting really smart. That's that expertise component, talking to a diverse set of of, of people who are going to help um, focus your view of the world. And then that creative aha moment that happens over a beer in a brewery or that happens over a coffee in the morning or a cup of tea, a Scottish cup of tea. Um, those are going to be the ones that, that make a difference. And, and so now that, you know, a lot of this book learning stuff, you know, this pandemic has accelerated a lot of trends in society. And, and one is, you know, we don't need schools. Mm -hmm. You can learn things outside the classroom just as good as you can learn inside the classroom. And I think we're going to walk away from this pandemic realizing most of the education in quotes that we give to our kids isn't really necessary. They really need to learn this other stuff. And a lot of this other stuff can be learned with self-study or very small group study. And then there are other things that, you know, need to be done in, in large groups. And that's probably what those big school buildings will be. Either that or those big school buildings will be the next, you know, empty strip malls like that we had in the seventies. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's, there, there's another, place where creativity is going to, to take place, where we can, where we can uh, fix things uh, and, and make people a lot happier. I mean, there's no, there's no greater enemy to creativity than the organized educational system we have yeah, on this planet. Absolutely. James, what's the importance of storytelling and creativity? Well, so at the, at the heart of both of those two things is an idea, right? A creative mind conceives of an idea to, to solve some problem or to to make your world better, a better place. And and storytelling is the conveying of that idea. And, and so the, the most successful creatives are the ones who are able to explain their creations. And the storytelling comes on the explaining side. The best storytellers aren't the ones that just regurgitate someone else's ideas, right? We had Apple's good at this. So, you know, Johnny Ive and Steve Jobs are really good. Uh, coming up with the ideas. And then they had these storytellers and some of them got famous, right? Guy Kawasaki got famous for his storytelling. Uh, and then he left Apple. <laughs> 
He's a storyteller, but not a creative. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Sorry, guy. But, um, and, and, and so it's the, the people who are, can do both. Steve Jobs could conceive of an idea and, and tell that story. Johnny Ives could only conceive and Guy Kawasaki could only tell. And so where those two, uh, merge creativity and storytelling, oh, that's the sweet spot. Yeah. That is the spot where you are going to be creative really pretty much no matter what you put your mind to. Insightful and provocative as always. Thank you, James. For more information and to keep in touch with James, Follow him on Twitter at DocJamesW and at his website, DocJamesW.com. For more inspirational conversations with creative industry personalities on entrepreneurship, pop culture, art, music, film and fashion, please go to the Unknown Origins website at UnknownOrigins.com. (laughs) 